Good morning, good morning. My name is Becky, I'm one of the pastors here. If you are new to us, um, I also am gonna give you a message from our OG pastor, the original, who he is out, he has had surgery recently, and I just wanted to share with you an update from him. Uh, pastor Andy says, Andy says, I'm still healing from surgery and it's going well. This next week I begin rehab, which is a great thing. Um, we have, uh, and should be back soon. Thank you for your prayers. God has been with me every step of the way. So he will be back soon. His legs are healing, his back is healing. That is what we, man, have been praying for in relief for him. He went, uh, I'm just gonna tell you a little also like insider. Um, he went for a walk this week, which is a big deal. Um, Cause we know how much we've watched him be in pain. Um, so he is doing well. Please continue to be praying for him um, as he is healing and we'll figure out what he needs. Um, also, just a little family news, this is Brittany. Brittany and Angela and I, we have been leading worship together since we were like 15 years old. Um, as any of you can tell that our worship team is gone. Um, they are on a well-deserved break. So Britt has been gracious enough, she is family, to fill in for us. So um, just in case you're like, who is that? I know you two maybe, but then there's this other one who doesn't look like Gayla promise she's right in the family. So why don't you stand, because we're going to get into worship. I'm excited and expectant for what the Lord has for us this morning. Lord, I thank you that you are the lover of our souls. Father, as this week has been rough, I thank you that you are still good. You are still on your throne. So Father, this morning, won't you come? You're welcome to you. Father, if there's anything in us that is keeping us from you, the reality of your goodness, the reality of how much you want us, the reality of how much you see us, I ask that you remove it. Father, be pleased with our hearts and our worship this morning. In your powerful name, amen. All right, fam, let's worship. hope is in Jesus. Come on. Our hope is in Jesus. Because of Jesus, we have the opportunity to be called children of God. Not by anything that we can ever do. Amen? I want to remind you that you are so loved. You are so, so loved by the Father. Oh 
Tell 
that. Keep that going. Psalms 12, uh, 42, 7, it says, Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. So in this moment when we're talking about, oh, how he loves us, that is in worship where our deep is calling out to his deep. And I want you to know that it is okay. I love, I love, I love when we are in worship together. So we're going to take the next couple of seconds and we're going to continue to sing this over you because some of you need to hear it to believe it. And I'm going to sing for you as if I'm holding up your arms over that. And some of you need to look at situations that you have going on and speak to whatever the case may be. When I'm singing out, oh, how he loves us, I'm speaking to the fact that when children said, auntie, I'm scared to go to school, my heart cry is, oh, but how he loves us. I don't know where you are this morning, but he is ready and willing. The altars are open. There are people here to pray for you. So let's sing together. You don't need us. Let's sing as a body together and cry out to the one. Our deep is calling out to deep. Oh, how he loves us, Brett. Oh, he loves us. Oh. of our worship in the form of our giving. We give because he loves us. We give because the Bible talks about giving our first 10% and then our tithes and offerings above that. There's four ways to give. You can give online. In the mailbox outside, there's a giving box and through your church app. Father, I thank you for every giver in this place. I thank you because it is you who indeed first loved us that we can return that back to you. So Father, take our tithes and our offerings as worship unto your beautiful name. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's keep worshiping.
Morning, everybody. We're gonna have a word of prayer before we sit down today, because there's a town in Texas that's going through a horrible time and such such tragedy. And I know that there are churches all around the nation that are praying, and if we join our prayers with them, then I believe that we'll see God do something in the hearts of broken people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you today because you're the answer to every need we have and every tragedy that we experience. Lord, we pray that your great peace, your comfort, and your help go out to every hurting heart, 
every hurting family, and to the whole community. And even to the ripple effect, Lord, to many other people who are affected by this. But I know that you are a light in darkness. And we ask you today to shine, to shine brightly, Lord, and to be the help that people need today. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Thank you for joining in that prayer. Thank you, worship team. Well, it's supposed to be a holiday weekend, and I think that all of us probably planned that there's going to be sunshine out there on Memorial Day weekend, but there's not. I think you'd have to travel to Arizona or somewhere like that to get some better weather than we've been experiencing. I have something that's on my heart, and this passage of scripture is really close to my heart, to my wife Barbara's heart. We've many times depended upon it, believed on it. It's made a difference in our life. And it comes from a story that I think all of us are familiar with. And that is the story of the book of Nehemiah. Uh, the book of Nehemiah was written by Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah, when he writes this book, he writes it like a journal. And so he tells about his experiences, his life, his prayers, his thoughts, everything he puts into this journal that we know of as the book of Nehemiah. Now, he was a Jewish exile living in the city of Susa, which was a Persian city. He was 800 miles from his homeland where his ancestors were born. And to give you just a tiny bit of background, the Babylonians invaded Israel and they took thousands of people captive and they took them out of their own land and took them to Babylon. And that had happened many decades before Nehemiah. Nehemiah probably was born in Persia. And as many Jews were, they were enlisted into the service of the government of Persia and to the officials. And this is contemporary with other people that you know of, like Daniel and his book. And he was one of the exiled Jews. And other stories that you know of, like the stories of the three Hebrew children that were uh, cast into the flames. This is all in that kind of context for this particular person. After many decades of people being in exile, large groups of them were allowed to go back to Israel and to Jerusalem. And they began to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city. But this made a neighboring group of people that you'll probably recognize the name of this people, the Samaritans, and it made them very angry and upset, and so they were doing everything they could to destroy everything that the Jewish people were trying to build up. So as they were trying to build up, the Samaritan people were trying to tear it down. And so we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, and Nehemiah gets a visit from his brother, and his brother happens to be an official that had returned to Israel. So he's an official from Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah and some of the other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, 
those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Have you ever seen or heard something that hit your heart with a, a similar impact as this news did to Nehemiah? And I'm not just talking about you hearing of, of a tragedy maybe that moved your heart. All of us are moved by tragedies. But Nehemiah was thinking about this report that came from his brother and the other men that had come from Jerusalem. And it really hit him hard. And I believe that that was a God thing that was at work in his life. He not only sat down and wept when he heard that news, but he goes on to say that he mourned for many days. So this thing was heavy on his heart for many days. And he also fasted and he prayed to the God of heaven. Now you don't fast unless you really think that God needs to do something to solve a problem or to meet a need or to, to meet a dilemma that is happening. And just a little bit of word about fasting. Fasting is not a hunger strike against God. It's not saying, God, I'm not going to eat until you answer my prayer. Because God doesn't respond to hunger strikes. And it's not twisting his arm. It's not, it's not somehow making your prayer stronger by twisting his arm when, you're, when you are fasting. It's not manipulating him at all. And it is also not payment to God, like I'll pay you fasting if you'll give me the answer because it's not a token like that. It's, it's something different, it's not for God. Fasting is for us. What fasting does is that we humble ourselves before God when we, when we don't eat. We're saying, to God that you are more important than my body. But what also happens when we fast is that we begin to hear better because it opens up the ears of our heart and our understanding. We can hear God better and we can understand him better. And that's what happens when we humble our spirits, humble our hearts in fasting. But this was a God thing that hit Nehemiah. And it, God kept the fuel burning in his heart. And what Nehemiah was doing is Nehemiah was feeling with God. And I want you to get a hold of that thought, that we can feel with God. When God opens the window of your heart and you see and feel his heartbeat for a situation or a people, then we will get a better understanding of God's viewpoint. We often call that that God puts a burden on our heart for something. Now, Nehemiah wept because God's heart was weeping for his people that were in Jerusalem. Nehemiah mourned because God was mourning over the situation that was happening there. But Nehemiah turned that weeping and that mourning and that feeling that he had for his own people into prayer. And that's true intercession. True intercession is not praying what we want to pray from our own head or mind or intellect, what we think we ought to pray. But true intercession is praying the script that God gives you when you read the pages of his heart. And imagine 
if we could do that all the time, if we could just get his heart and pray his heart, get his heart for a situation, know his desire, feel his desire, and understand his purposes, that's true agreement with God, and that's very powerful. And we're going to talk about that more. But prayer is also a conversation with God, not just a list that we read off to him. And I encourage you that when you pray, it's good that you pray for many things. I pray for many things. I have family members who need prayer, whose health is not well. I have situations that I'm praying for, that I need God's guidance and help in. But as we, as we have our prayer list, I, I just invite you to make it a conversation and not just a prayer list to God. Hear what he has to say and even ask him questions. Lord, what about this? What is your heart about this situation? Now, Nehemiah wrote a prayer in his journal, and I'm going to summarize it. It's beautiful. You ought to read it for yourself sometime in chapter 1 of Nehemiah. But it starts out this way. He starts out by worshiping God and God's greatness. And it's a good thing to start our prayers that way, even if our heart is heavy to start out by worshiping him and acknowledging who he is because it kind of clears the spiritual atmosphere. It removes the static that the enemy wants to bring to our hearts and minds. And as we worship God, it brings us right into his throne room and right into connection with God himself. It's really powerful to begin with prayer and worship. When you worship God, think about how you would worship God in a time of prayer. Nehemiah did it by repeating to God who he is, telling God about his greatness and the things that he has done. Formulate in your own heart and in your own mind what worship sounds like to you if you were just to sit down and worship him. It's wonderful when we can worship together and we can sing the same thing and, and those are powerful words and they are all united worship and that, that does much. But what about your personal worship to God? What are you going to say to him that will bring out your heart and really worship him? The second thing that Nehemiah did is he reminded God of his covenant of love with those who love him. And this morning, Angelo reminded us, all of us, that we are truly and deeply loved by God. And we sang a song that talked about the great love of God for all of us. When you were a child and you knew your parent was mad at you, didn't you approach that parent differently than if you knew they weren't mad at you and they just loved you? And that's what we need to remind ourselves of, that God deeply loves us and that we love him. And that makes all the difference in coming to him in prayer because we're not hiding behind something. We're not hoping that he won't be mad at us and will listen to our prayers, but we know that he loves us. And sometimes we need to say that to ourselves more than we're saying it to God. God, I know that you love me, and you love me so much that you gave your son Jesus for me. That's how much you love me, and I love you too. And starting off on that foot of love, of acknowledging that love of God is a very powerful thing. The next thing that Nehemiah did in his prayers is that he confessed his sins and the sins of his fathers. There's a verse of scripture in the Bible that says, if we claim to have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're liars if we say we have no sin. 
all of us have sin, and we need to confess our sins to God because He is a holy God. He's, he is pure holiness. And when we come to Him, we need to confess our sin. But the power of what Nehemiah is doing here is he's not only confessing his sins, but the sins of his fathers. He's, he's putting himself in their shoes. He's saying, God, I know that my ancestors did things that made you angry. And those are the things that brought our whole nation into exile. That's why our whole country was overrun by the enemy, because we sinned against you. And he asked for forgiveness. And I don't know if you've done that. But it's a good pattern to put ourselves in the shoes of others that have an effect over us. It's good to pray for not only our fathers, but our nation. You're an American. Confess the sins of your nation, not only your own sins. You're a family member. Confess the sins of your ancestors and ask God to forgive them. Follow this pattern and ask for forgiveness. And then he repents for the nation's disobedience. So he picks out one thing that is a sin, and that is disobedience. But disobedience is very powerful. If I could uh, relate it this way, obedience is like staying a train staying on the train track. Because that track has been prepared, the path has been cleared, and a rail has been set for that train. But for a train to go off the tracks is like disobedience. And think of the hardship that comes with that disobedience. And so when we, when we come to God and we say, God, I'm sorry, we know that the train wreck of what happened in our lives is because of our disobedience. Forgive our disobedience, Lord, and help us to see the way, keep us on track. And then Nehemiah claims the promise that God gave that no matter how distant his people were scattered across the earth, that he would gather them again to himself. So Nehemiah knew this promise. Nehemiah knew the promise of scriptures that God said a scattered people would be brought together again. And so he's saying, this is what we need, Lord. We need this to happen. It's, it's begun to happen. People are going back to Jerusalem and to Judah, but your people are scattered, and this is your promise. So what promises do you need to remember in your situation? So if you have need or if there's a problem, what promise of God applies to your need or to that problem? God loves it when we remind him of his promises. When we remind God of his promises, we're saying, I believe what you said. And what you said is powerful and true, and it applies to me. And I thank you for it. I thank you for that promise. I've often gone to the very simple promise of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And that is that if we will look to God, he will direct our paths. The next thing that Nehemiah says is that he makes a declaration of an undisputable truth. And what he says is, we are your servants and your people that you redeemed with your great strength. We're your people. We belong to you. Now he's saying this as a, a person in, in Persia 
in a foreign land, a servant of a foreign king. And he's saying, Lord, I know that I'm the servant of a foreign king, but I'm yours. We're your people. We belong to you. And then he makes a request, and that is, grant me favor in the presence of this man. And he says, for I was the cupbearer to the king. Yeah, Nehemiah, if you don't know the story, and I'm sure uh, most of you do, that Nehemiah says that he was cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. That was a very high position. He was one of the king's most trusted men in order to become that cupbearer, and he had a place of high honor and daily access to the king and queen. And Nehemiah received something in prayer from God, and that moved his heart of compassion for his people to a plan of action. And to this prayer that we read, give me favor in the presence of this man. What is, who does he mean by this man? This man is the king, the king of Persia. But let's, let's kind of unpack this a little bit more. God wants to move us from a place of knowing his heart to a place of vision. And what I mean by vision is that we see what God wants to happen. And we also see ourselves working side by side with God to accomplish his plan. Now, vision should lead us to a place where we're surrendered to God. Where we say, God, I see now what you're seeing and I surrender to you. And even just this morning, I was doing the same thing. I was looking at some situations that I face at work, and I was saying to myself, Lord, I just surrender to myself, myself to you. Acknowledging that surrender allows God to begin to move in. That's us opening up the doors and removing any barrier to God flowing in to our life and to our situation when we surrender. But it also means that we're living out his dreams and not just our dreams. Living out his plan and not just our plan. If we get our vision from man and we ask God to bless it, which is often what we do. We say, God, this is what we want to happen and we're going to pray about it. And because this is what we want to happen, we're asking you to bless it. But it should be the opposite. And that is we should learn what God's plan is because it's already blessed if we know what God's plan is. So we shouldn't get our vision from man and ask God to bless it. We get our vision from God. If our spiritual goal, whether it's in life or ministry or your work or business or any other area, if, if it's to convince God to bless you to follow your dream, then you'll always wonder if our things are not falling into place. God didn't save us to build our kingdoms, but so that we would be a part of his kingdom. And we actually are in, in, in everything that we do. Because you're one of God's people, no matter what you do in life, what you do for work, whether you're still in school, even if you're retired, whatever it is, you have a part in the kingdom of God. And he has a plan for you in that. And we need to see the bigger picture, the bigger picture of where I fit into this plan. Like Nehemiah, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, but he's also a part of God's plan, a part of God's plan for his people in Israel. And he's a good father. 
And he wants his sons and daughters, you and me, to be a part of what he is doing. He wants us to be right there, right next to him doing that. And I love that about little kids. And that is they want to be near their parents. They want to, they watch what their parents do and they want to do what their parents are doing. And so if dad is outside pounding nails with a hammer, then the child also wants their own hammer so that they can pound some nails themselves. Or if mom is out in the garden and she's digging holes to put seedlings or flowers in the ground, then the child wants to do the same thing, wants to help, wants to get that trowel and dig some holes so that they can plant also. And that's what we were created to do. We were created to be like the little children Jesus said that we needed to become. We need to work beside our Heavenly Father to build what he's building and to plant what he's planting. Remember the words of Jesus. Jesus said, I only say what I hear the Father saying, and I only do what I see the Father doing. That's the plan that God has for all of us, to get that vision of knowing what he's doing and knowing what he's saying, and then to just become a part of it. Oftentimes it's scary for us to step out, especially if we have to step out in, let's say, evangelism, telling somebody about Jesus. But if you're in a situation with another person, I think if you will just begin your prayer this way, Father, if you're doing something right now with this person that's in front of me, then help me be a part of it and show me what I need to do. What you're saying is, God, I just want to be a part of what you're doing. I'm not trying to create something that you're not doing. I want to be a part of what you're doing. So if all you're doing is planting seed, then help me say the right words or do the right things to plant those seeds in the person's life. I just want to do what I see you doing. Now, you can live almost an entire lifetime without realizing that, as the scripture says, your life is not your own. That you belong to him. The Bible says, your life is not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your life. And when our lives are not our own, then we begin to realize that we are partners with God. We are together with him. It's not about me. It's about us. It's about God and us together. And I pray that God would open our eyes to see what he's doing and to give us a passion to do it with him. Now, just to bring a little bit of a time frame in here that I, that I think is going to matter to us as we go a little bit forward. When Nehemiah begins in chapter 1, he says it's the month of Kislev. That's when he hears the news from his brother Hanani. And then in chapter 2, he tells us that it's the month of Nisan. That's the time when he steps forward and he begins to talk to the king. Now, the Jewish calendar is a little bit different than our calendar, but on our calendar, that is seven months. Seven months that happen from the time he heard the news and his heart was broken by what was happening in Jerusalem to the time that he actually stepped forward and he said something to the king. So even though he knew during that time of prayer what he was supposed to do, and that was to talk to the king and, and ask favor from the king, he didn't actually do it for seven months. And what did he do in those seven months? And I believe in those seven months, he was still praying about it. He was praying for the right timing he was praying for God's favor and God's heart. In those seven months that he was praying, I believe that 
he moved, God moved his heart just like he moves our heart from the place of saying, God, what are you going to do about it? To instead saying, God, what is your plan and how can I help? What is my part? How can I partner with you and what you're doing? And sometimes during those times of prayers, God actually has to break us down from just saying, God, what are you going to do about it? And to realizing that we're part of the answer. God always has a strategy. Always has a strategy. He knows exactly what he's doing and what he wants to do and how he's going to do it and when he's going to do it. And oftentimes, we're a little bit off on our own timing because we hope that God would do it sooner or differently, but God has his own plan. I like to call it the strategy of heaven. And we need to grasp the strategy of heaven and to know the strategy of heaven. And we only know that by tapping into his heart and understanding what God wants. Now, Nehemiah knew that as a servant of the king that he could do nothing to help the people in Jerusalem without the king's approval and without the king's help because he himself did not have the resources that it took to do everything that God had put in his heart, the plan that God had. So the king was the linchpin. I kind of like that word. The king was the linchpin. And a linchpin is a pin that holds a wheel on an axle, or it's also defined as a key pivot point or part that holds all the other parts together. And God knew that King Artaxerxes was the linchpin that held this whole plan together. And that unless the king's heart was moved, very little was going to happen. So the whole plan depended upon this one man king, the king, he was the linchpin of the plan. And we can learn from this example. And that is when we pray, God can uncover or help us to discover what the key is that unlocks the door that we need opened. And sometimes the key is a person, but sometimes it's something else. But God is the one who can reveal that to us and show us what really needs to happen so that it can get done. And that's why Nehemiah prayed in, in Nehemiah 1.11, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And did you hear that word in there? It's the word favor. Give me favor, he prayed. Favor is so important to God releasing to you everything that you need. Favor. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, let, let me read it for you. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king, and I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? Why does your face look so sad? He was saying. This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And Nehemiah says in his journal, I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? You know, faith isn't always comfortable. Nehemiah was terrified. 
because he didn't know what was going to happen. And as a cupbearer to the king, you should not be a concerned person or the king would wonder, what is going on here? Have you poisoned my drink or something? Is this the point where you are betraying me? And that's why Nehemiah was terrified. But Nehemiah had to make a choice in that moment. And we often come to those times when we have to make a choice. And that choice is we know that this is a moment that God has created. Do we back down from that moment and pretend nothing is happening? Or do we choose even to go beyond our fear to take that step of faith and boldness and to say what God wants us to say, to say what God has prepared in our hearts? Are we going to walk through the door that God has suddenly opened, that opportunity for us? Now, Nehemiah was vulnerable. He told him the truth about the sadness of his heart and the condition of his people. And I believe that we also need to sometimes be real for people in the world around us and to be vulnerable because sometimes unbelievers look at us and they think that we think we're perfect and have no problems because we're always praising the Lord. But we have problems. And we have burdens and we have cares. And I think when we're real with people, they'll realize we're human beings and they can relate to us and we can relate to them. And somehow it opens their heart. And so Nehemiah was being real and he was being authentic and the king saw something there. And I think that as Nehemiah said to the king what was really on his heart, there must have been a moment. I don't know how long that moment was, a fraction of a second or a second. Sometimes a second can seem like a long time when you're waiting for somebody to respond to something that you've said. But we're told here that the king said to me, this is verse 4 of chapter 2, the king said to me, what is it you want? Which is just like saying, make your request. So that's the favor that Nehemiah had been praying for. He'd been praying that somehow God would move on the heart of this king, that at the right moment that he asked the question that the king would be favorable. And the king was. He said, what, what is it that you want? So in that same verse, Nehemiah says, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. I think it's wonderful that he, he's been praying for months, but he prays again in this real, real moment. Now, he doesn't say, hold on, king, I need a moment to pray before I answer you. No, he prays in his heart. Don't you love those quick prayers that need to go up to God in a moment, those silent prayers that no one hears, but your heart just reaches out to God really quickly, like, oh, Lord, help me, or give me the right words. And those prayers are silent on earth because they're in your heart, but they ring loud in heaven. And so as he prayed, he answered the king. And this is the answer that he gave him. Verse 5, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. Now this is a bold request, a bold move. He's basically saying, your majesty, I'm not asking for much. I'm asking you to commission me to rebuild the city. 
I'm asking you to commission me to rebuild a city. And then in verse 6 it says, And then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Now, for some people, they would stop there. And they'd say, great, the king said, yes, I can go, and um, he can send me to do this. But then Nehemiah asked for more, and in verse 7, he said, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they'll provide me with safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. So what he's basically saying is, I'm going to have to go through several territories of different nations to get there, and I need to be safe as I travel through those territories. Can you give me letters so that they know that I'm on official duty? and they will let me safely pass through their countries. Now, how did Nehemiah know to start asking for these things? Because in those seven months of prayer, God was giving him a plan. He was thinking about what would be needed. He was writing things down in his notebook. I need this, I'm gonna need that. This is what I'm gonna need also. God is giving him insight into the plan and what will be needed. And I believe that many times we need a plan. Didn't Jesus say in a question, does a man build a house without counting the cost? Do you just go out there with a shovel and start digging for our foundation and not even knowing if you're gonna be able to complete this project? Have you ever seen projects like that? I've seen them through the years, I've seen a house begun and there's a foundation and there's a little bit of framing that takes place and uh, and then somehow it stops and you're wondering why did it stop and then months go by and it still stopped and nothing else is happening did did they count the cost or did something else happen there so Nehemiah doesn't stop there in in verse 8 he also asked for timber from the king's forests because he needs the timber to rebuild the gates of the citadel and the temple. And then he also asked for that timber for his own residence. So he asked for his own house. And the king said, yes. And as Nehemiah puts it, because the gracious hand of God was upon me, and that's favor. The gracious hand of God was upon me, and that's favor. But I want to point out to that thing that he asked for asking for his own residence or his own house. That's the thing that sometime in the past, my wife and I had to pray because we didn't have our own home and we knew we needed one. But there was no way that we could, in our own ability, have a house. And yet this verse of scripture gave us hope because if Nehemiah could ask for a house, then why couldn't we ask for a house? We said to ourselves, But before I get to that, because I want a little bit more to say about that, in verse 9 we're told that not only did Nehemiah get everything that he asked for, but in the end it says the king also sent army officers and a cavalry with me. So the king sent a small army with Nehemiah to get him to the place where he needed to be. God will send an army 
to accomplish his will and purposes for you if you'll just surrender to that to that will and to those purposes and fasting forward a little bit nehemiah did get to jerusalem and when he got there he got on a horse and he rode around the walls of Jerusalem to see what the damage was to the walls and to the gates and to plan its rebuilding. And that wouldn't have been possible if he had not walked around those walls in prayer all those months beforehand. And I want to ask you a question. What problem or need or situation do you need to walk around in prayer? Now, Nehemiah had never been there. He'd never actually seen the walls or the city with his own eyes. But he knew of it. But he walked around it in prayer time and time again in those months that he was praying. And as he walked around, God gave him insight. God gave him understanding. God showed him God's own heart. And so that is very important to us, that we know that and hear that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm going to get back to Nehemiah's house. You see, Nehemiah wasn't being selfish when he asked for a house. Nehemiah was being practical. Because if a vision God gives us, if a, a, a plan God gives us is going to be sustainable, if it's going to, if it's going to go the distance, then it's going to have to be healthy enough to see it through to the finish. And in my notes, I underline that word healthy. It's going to have to be healthy enough to see it through to the finish. And some basic needs are going to have to be supplied. It's tempting to build God's house and neglect your own household because it seems spiritual to sacrifice some things. But when you spend as much time in ministry as I have over my lifetime, you realize sometimes that you were weighing things in the balance and you got things a little bit off balance. It's tempting to be spiritual and say, we're just going to do it all and give it all for God. But then you and your family are suffering. And there have been times when we've pastored places where the congregation has no money to pay the utilities, so we pay it out of our own salary. Or similar things. But I want you to please listen to me. And this just doesn't go for, for ministry or things that have to do with the church, but your own personal life and your service to God. I don't care what you're building for God. He doesn't want you to lose your kids or your marriage or your health. Because you need to be healthy in every way in order to accomplish everything that he wants you to do for him. God is giving you permission to ask for what you need and not just continually asking for other people.
And as I say it again, sometimes we think we're selfish. But again, Nehemiah wasn't selfish, he was practical. He couldn't suffer and do the best job that God had for him. His needs would have to be met. And I want to pray for you today. And if you have something that you think is a need that seems staggering, out of reach, beyond control even, or if you need favor from God to get something done or to move upon someone's heart, or if you need doors open for you or provision of some kind, then what I'd like you to do is to just please stand where you are because I want to pray for you. Just stand where you are, if any of those situations. And I just want to say to you, remember what Nehemiah taught us about walking around that need in prayer and getting God's heart. We can't do that in this just this one moment that we're praying for you, but you can do that as you continue to pray. You can hear God's heart. You can know God's heart. And God can give you a plan. And God can give you favor. And God can open doors that no one else can open. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, and those of you who are seated, reach your hands out. Just, you know, to the people that are around you because I want you to pray for them in that way too just as I'm praying for them. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person standing here today. And there are many of us standing and myself included. And Lord, we come to you today realizing that sometimes, Lord, we've just hit our head against the wall trying to break it down to get an answer to the need or to the prayer that we have before you. But what we need today, Lord, is supernatural favor that will break through. We're asking you, Lord, to tip the bowls of heaven for all the prayers that we've been praying for this circumstance or situation or need and tip those bowls and pour out the answer. Lord, show us if there is a key Show us if there's something that we need to focus our prayer on that everything hinges upon. And help us, Lord, today to trust you, to know that you love us, that you're our Heavenly Father who cares for us, and that you want the best for us, and that your plan for us is good. I thank you today, Lord, for removing from our shoulders the great heaviness of this burden and for helping us just to come beside you and to see it through your eyes. Help us to work with what you're already doing behind the scenes and not to try to do it on our own and forgive us the times that we have been disobedient and gotten off the track help us get back on the track lord so that you can lead us through the open doors that you have for us we give you thanks lord we give you thanks we love you we worship you we praise you there is only only you 
and none like you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Let's all stand together as we close today in worship. Thank you.
Holy Spirit, we ask that you would remind us that we are loved. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would remind us that that God has a plan for us. It might not be our plan. Lord, but just like Nehemiah, God, that maybe some of us are a little bit slower. It takes us seven months to figure out what God's plan is. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would remind us every morning, God, to come to you and say, Lord, what is your plan? Lord, I thank you that you have not abandoned us, you have not left us, that you have good things for us. God, help us to be patient as we listen to your voice. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you are so loved. Have a wonderful Sunday. Have a wonderful week. We will see you next Sunday.